Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed. I am very excited to be here um, with you today. I hope you're excited as well. We are in the midst, the third week of a series called Out Loud. And this series is, it's a series, it's a, t- it's a teaching, but it's also a discussion. So, so here's where that started. So many conversations that we've been having, are, especially leadership in our church, with, with everyone in the community of our church, is running into the same dilemma, the same um, angst, and it's this. How do I live my faith out loud in our current culture? Right? It's one thing to do it here on Sunday morning and the doors close and we are free and, and praise God for the privilege that we have to come here as fellow believers to, to open his word and listen and learn and, and be guided and grow. But, but what do we do when we get out there? How, how does that work? How does that happen? And what we're learning is that happens by actually discussing it. That, that happens by looking to the scriptures, seeking guidance and wisdom from the spirit and and trying that out in our own worlds because here's the thing, each of our worlds is a little bit different, right? There's not one answer that we can give you that will work. And so what we're doing is having a discussion. We've been centering that discussion around a few passages from the book of 2 Peter, from Peter himself, where he's talking about this. At the end of Peter's life, he writes the book of, uh, the letter of 2 Peter. This is his farewell speech, and this, it's full of wisdom. And he's got a really succinct message. And so what what I want to do, Danny's read this the last few weeks, and we're going to continue the same way. We're going to read the beginning of the passage, and we're going to jump into our part as well. So if you can turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. It says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So some really big uh, biblical language in here, and we need to zoom in. There's there's this biblical concept called, um, have you ever heard of the word gaze? To gaze means to look and see something all the way through. So whenever you're studying the Bible, you want to stay. There's no, there's no um, calendar or there's no clock for studying the Bible. You stay as long as you need to. Right? We want to see it all the way through, and that's what we're doing through this text in this series. Now, there's a, a, a few words that we want to uh, kind of zoom in and on. One is this idea of corruption. So the verse tells us um, that we are to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, pause for a second. All right. I don't know if you know this, but we all have to get on the same page before we can go any farther together. All right. You have a role to play in the story that God is telling. Okay, let me say it again, because this isn't for your neighbor, this is for you. You have a role to play in the story that God is telling in creation. Right? Now, some of us believe that to our core and we are ready to go. And some of us, because of our stories, because of our experiences, we're more like, maybe, maybe I should have a background role. 
Maybe I, should, maybe I should be an extra in this movie here. But we have to start with this core belief that you are designed, you have given purpose because you have design, divine nature in your DNA. And what Peter is saying is we need to live into that. And there's certain character traits, there's certain desires, there's certain loves that we are to let be at the forefront. And there's others that we need to let die. And he says... The only way to live into that is to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil. The word corruption means the process by which something is changed from its original meaning. You have a design, you have a unique design for the role that you are to play in God's story. There is one that wants to knock you away from playing that role in the story. It's as simple as that. So what Peter is saying Jesus' followers are to be people who never stop growing in the character traits that mark God's own divine nature. Let me say that again. We never stop growing. Right? The wisdom at the end of his life, the one thing he wants to say is, listen, you're, you've never arrived. Right? We, we accomplish things and we overcome things, but we have never fully arrived. And for the rest of our time on this earth, while we have breath in our lungs, we continue to strive to grow and to learn in certain character traits. And Peter gives us a pathway forward in this as well. In 2 Peter uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge self-control, which is going to be our focus here today, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, again, we're growing in these always, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. We need to have an awareness that these traits that we have, right, whatever you're really good at now, we can always get better. Right? And so we focus in today, in the, and what we're going to focus in on is this idea of self-control. So here's what I know. Okay? Every single one of you woke up this morning and you, you opened your eyes and you're like, I so hope we're talking about self-control today at church. Okay? <laughs> oh man, I really hope that's the case. I want to calm your fears a little bit by saying this. This actually isn't a talk on self-control. This is a talk on purpose. This is a talk on your divine nature, how you're created to be. Now, the road to get there just happens to be self-control. It happens, and it's not the most fun topic to talk about, but I can tell you it's the most important right now for where we're at. Self-control is the ability to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. Let me say that again. Self-control is the ability to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. I can feel my parents tell me what to do as I read that sentence, right? It's like, like my son is nine now and he's gotten to the point where not just his words but his body tells me he doesn't want to. And he's just like, no, I don't want to, right? And we're in that stage where we're working with through like, that doesn't matter if you want to or not. My, one of his jobs is picking up poop in the backyard. My dog's uh, love gifts that he puts in the backyard. Right? And my son just goes through this angst of every time, I don't want to. And I was like, oh, so you're asking me to do it? Well, no, 
No, it's your job. You, you just need to do it, right? And so there are some categories that, yes, we want to move into that. We're going to talk about um, getting from the, oh, I don't want to do this. And how do, we, how do we bridge that gap into where God has sent me? I go willingly. God, you can send me wherever you want to because I am a part of this story. I'm not the writer. I'm not the author of this story. You are, Lord. And I want to participate in that with my gifts. And so here I am. Most of us view self-control like that overdue dentist appointment, necessary but dreaded. It feels boring and confining like the cop that shows up to shut down the party, right? But the Bible has a lot to say about self-control. It says, like a city whose walls are broken is a person who lacks self-control. We don't, we don't have to deal with a lot of the idea of having a city and then building walls around it, but they did in these biblical times, right? And they're saying, what good is building an entire city and putting all the effort and energy and resources into that if you don't build a wall to protect it. It's the same if you don't have self-control. What's the, build, what's the point of you having control? Because anyone can come in and take your control. Right? If you don't have self-control, right, it means someone else has it. And so our job is to talk about this today. Self-control is an invisible virtue operating behind the scenes to sustain a healthy and a holy life. According to the American Psychological Association, Americans consistently name a lack of willpower or self-control as their number one character deficit. The Bible portrays self-control, though, not as restrictive, but rather as the path to freedom that produces love. So when I start to talk about self-control, part of this room really is, is angsty in your soul because you don't like getting told what to do, right? You know who you are, by the way, right? You really do not like being told what to do. Because, and, and then, but if you ever ask the question, why? Why don't you like being told what to do? Where is that rooted in? Could it be that you have a core belief down below that you actually know what's best, right? Now, here's the thing. Some areas we do know what's best, right? Some areas we have experience, we have wisdom, all right? We have searched the scriptures. We know what to do next, and others we don't. And this talk that we're going to have today, this discussion, is about knowing when, right, to tap myself in and knowing when to tap myself out. There are two dominant themes in the scriptures, light and darkness and freedom and slavery. If we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Some of us heard, have heard it said, that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. But the end of that verse says, I must not become a slave to anything. And so here's the idea. I don't know if you knew this or not, but that's in the Bible, that you can do whatever you want. Did you know that? Right? Some of you rule followers are like, I don't know if that's the right interpretation or not. But uh, everything, I looked it up in the Greek, it means everything. Right? You can do whatever you want. Right? You're free to do whatever you want. Until you decide you're free, right? in your freedom, you're saying, but I'm choosing to participate in the role that God has designed for me. And all of a sudden, that freedom shifts. So now I am free to choose what God has for me. Now I need to be careful that whatever I'm choosing in my freedom right, isn't enslaving me. And what we think is freedom often, especially in our culture, isn't at least not lasting freedom. 
So I'm 36 years old, right? Um, for some of you, you're like, you're really young, and others, you're like, you're really old, right? I grew up in a time with something called layaway, right? Does anyone remember layaway, right? You went to this magical land called Kmart. They don't, they're really rare. They're almost extinct at this point. And you went in, and you found a product inside of the store, and you realized you didn't have enough money for that product, right? So what did you do? You brought that to the layaway desk, right? And what you would do is you'd put money down, and you'd continue to pay. you say, I want this thing, right? But I'm going to continue to pay. And you wouldn't get the thing until you paid all the money, right? I think... I think sometimes we are layaway Christians. What I mean is this. There are pockets of our life that we don't have control of. Yet the narrative of scripture says that I am to surrender my entire life and my entire will to God. But how can I surrender my entire life to Jesus when pockets of it aren't even under my own control? Let that settle in, right? So our job is being willing to have hard talks as a family, being willing to create spaces where I can get it. Now, now here's the thing. We all have numerous places that we're out of control. So hope isn't lost, friends. The goal of today is for you to leave with one, all right? But whatever it is, it's, it's one that you're prepared to meet, right? It's one that you're prepared to see, as we talked about earlier, to gaze at, to see all the way through, to ask questions like, why is that here? How did I allow that? What is that thing that has um, enslaved me, that has control over me? What is it doing for me, right? Instead of just reacting, we need to ask better questions. We need to understand that this is going to be a really hard thing inside of our culture. So, to begin, we're going to watch a video together. You may have heard of this before. There's something in the 1960s, there was a test, there was a study done called the marshmallow test, right? And some of you have heard of this before, but it's very simple. It's basically this. You give a marshmallow to a child, and you say, you can either eat this marshmallow right now, or if you can delay uh, your gratification, if you can delay your desire for just a little bit, I'll come back in a little bit, and I'll give you two marshmallows right? This is literally the, the tug on our souls, okay? So we're going to watch a video explaining and, and watching a few kids going through this, and here's my challenge. Find yourself in the video, all right? Which character are you, okay? Let's go ahead and watch this. The Marshmallow Test is a psychology experiment from the late 1960s designed by a guy called Walter Michelle. The idea is you give young children a marshmallow and say you can eat it straight away, or if you don't eat it and hold on for 10 minutes, you can get a second marshmallow. It's all about delayed gratification. And Michelle said that those people who are good at the marshmallow test went on to have more successful lives. Now we're gonna see whether the test works just as well with children of our own generation. We've got Celia who's six, and we got B who is four. I'm gonna give you a marshmallow. If you want, you can eat this straight away, or you can wait for a bit until I come back into the room and you'll get a second marshmallow, okay? I'll leave it up to you. I'm going to leave the room for a bit. Bye-bye.
Okay, girls, how did you do? You haven't eaten yours. <laughs> and what happened to yours, B? Where is it? What, it's there in your tummy? Is it? So you couldn't wait for another one. So you, as a reward, get another marshmallow. What do you think of that? Tasty. All right, so which one are you? Who, who is brave enough to say, you're not brave, honestly, if you're the girl on the left, by the way, you're raising your hand pretty, yes, you know who you are, right? Did you see at the very end when she got close there, it, it was almost, she was about ready if they gave her another 30 seconds, she was gonna steal that marshmallow and she's gonna be, she's gonna be like, I got my two, I don't know what she needed, right? So, so here's the thing. I, neither of us are completely either person. It depends on the situation that you're put in. It depends on the desire, the wants that you're after. Theologian Jonathan Wilson says, in speaking to our culture right now, living in 2019, he says, all we know is what we want, and our wanters are broken. Our wanters are broken. So when you... Let's say you had a long day at work and a stressful day at work on Friday and you're on your way home and you're saying, I'm going to, what do I want right now? I'm sure I'll, most of you stop uh, at Fred Meyer's on your way home, whatever your supermarket is, and you go right to the vegetable section. You're like, I'm going to give this body what it needs, right? <laughs> and then I'm going to give it real rest, right? So I'm going to make sure screen time's off at least an hour to an hour and a half before I actually close my eyes. Before. No, no, that's not it, right? Right? So here's, here's something we have to realize, every single one of us here. Every single one of us here has to realize this. There are more menu options available for you to take your energy, to give your control away to, than ever before. My son turned nine this last week, and we do this fun thing at birthdays sometimes where uh, we were at dinner, and we were looking up, everyone that was there, grandparents and everybody, uh, certain things like when they were nine years old, how much was milk and how much was everything else, right? And we asked my dad, and he was with the dinosaurs because we couldn't find out the information. But then we asked my mom, and I said, Mom, how much do you think a loaf of bread was when you were nine years old? And she goes, I can't answer that. I grew up on a farm in Nebraska. We made bread when we wanted it. Now, here's the, that, that's, that needs to resonate in us. We need to realize that there's probably never been a tectonic shift in, in just a few generations like we've seen right now. My son is not going to have to make bread, right? If something doesn't show up from Amazon in two days, we're mad. We're saying, where is it, right? Everything is at our fingertips. And so what that means is the skill set, the muscle the, tr the, the godly trait of self-control is actually more important than ever, right? Who, it's Sunday. You're going to go into this new week. Who, who's going, who has some sort of form or some sort of thing that you've already decided how much Netflix, Hulu, whatever you're watching, right? No, we're, gonna, we're just going to watch how much we want, Right? I am not, again, I'm not saying that I like a lot of shows, right? I'm not saying I don't like that, right? But we kind of compartmentally choose our self-control right now. If we were, to, we were to say there's a Bible study every Wednesday night, you'd be like, gosh, every week? Like, man, I don't know if I can do that or not. Yet you sure show up for Netflix every night, right? 
And so, friends, this isn't shame. This is just awareness to go, okay, each one of us has to look at our own lives individually and to say, am I in control? Is something else in control? Are other rhythms inside my world? Is culture in control right now? Because here's the thing about living out loud, right? The best way to live out loud is to embody these godly traits and then share the fruits and the testimony of that. Not the information of that, by the way, right? You want to love this world, you show them how the gospel is transforming your life. Right? Don't tell them that they need to transform their lives. Show them what that looks like, and I promise you they'll be a lot more attracted to that than if you're just lobbing information and truth bombs at them. So how do we do this? Living in our world, it's so hard to make a decision how, how we do this. When we inevitably come across areas where we lack in self-control, right, or we encounter temptation, another word that the Bible uses, the Scripture shows us two responses. Okay? When we know that we need some more self-control, right? the first response to this, and by the way, this is the main response, which I wasn't really aware of until I studied this week, which is this. Flee it. Right? When I started studying this, I promise I was donning my like, suit of armor already. You know, you remember like, if you grew up in church, you colored the felt thing or whatever and all the, the belt and the, everything else. And so I was like, okay, let's get ready to fight. And actually, no, what the Bible says is, why are you fighting? Leave. Like, why do you need to be there in the first place? Why are you picking fights? Right? You can just leave that. You have, that's one of the controls that you have as a person. You can leave that. You don't need to participate in that. But often we underestimate the power of temptation and we overestimate our ability to resist it. All right? Have you ever been that? I got this person before? Does any, anyone start a workout plan at the beginning of January right, with the goal of, I got this? Right? I don't really need to learn anything new. I don't really need to dive into why they haven't been successful in the past or zoom or gaze all the way through at my habits and my ability to, to be disciplined. Right? Nope, I'm going to start thinking. I'm just going to do it. How'd that work out? For many, I know it's like, ugh. But I think this is a healthy talk for us to have the only way to change what needs to change is to be aware of it. There's a classic story written by Homer called The Odyssey. And in it, the main character, Odysseus, embarks on a perilous journey, escaping many dangers on his journey home from the Trojan War. None of these dangers is more deadly than the sirens. These mythical mermaids are beautiful and seductive, but their appeal is deceptive. In truth, they are murderous. Odysseus understands these dangers and knows, check this out, he knows that he is vulnerable to their song. Right? He starts from the posture of, I don't know if I can do this, which for us as Americans is pretty rare, if I can be honest, this humility. He hatches a plan to sail past the sirens without succumbing to their song, so he instructs his sailors to tie him to the mast and commands them also to stuff their ears with beeswax so they do not hear the sirens singing. So his plan is this. I realize ahead of time that I'm not powerful enough, and so I'm going to give my power away to something that is trusted for this time. That's one form of fleeing, right? To draw some really bright lines in our life to say, I'm actually not going to go there. That's just not a place that I'm going to live. Now, we're going to talk about how the goal of fleeing is always to get enough information, prayer, or power, 
authority in our world to be listening to God enough to where we can face it. But fleeing it is a really good plan to begin with. It's a really good plan to have an actual plan. Did you know that if you go work at somewhere like Starbucks, okay, uh, you're on the front lines? I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, one of the most dangerous animals uh, in the animal kingdom is the pre-caffeinated human, right? (laughs) And so before you're ever allowed to man the till at Starbucks, they're going to teach you all the products, they're going to teach you how to run the computer and everything, but one of the main things that they do is they plan ahead of time for your venom. Right, because they messed up your soy macchiato whatever thing, right? And you're going to be upset at that because you don't have your caffeine fix in the morning. And so what they do is they actually have you practice what your response is going to be. They say this temptation, this thing is coming. So instead of just relying on you and your emotion in the moment, and some of us, right, when we're uh, engaged, right, in a um, some people call it a fight. I call them growth opportunities, right. And you're engaged one of this. Some of you are like, let's go, right? And some shut down, right? And Starbucks actually in wisdom says, no, we're, we're not going to rely on any of that with you. We're going to have a plan in place. We're going to say, I'm sorry, would you like me to get a manager? Is there another, another product that I can get for you, all right? Yet as, as Christians, we, we often don't take this sort of um, approach, even though we, we have patterns in our world behind us of things that we continually struggle with. We need to be people that identify areas and situations that we have fallen prey to temptation and write out a plan for how you'll react to these situations in the future. Can we just say gross and boring, right? It's a little bit gross and boring, but here's the thing. It's boringly effective, right? If there's a business owner in this room right now, you do boringly effective things all the time. You look at the thing, at the numbers, at the data that no one else wants to look at, and you're willing to continue to look to see what the story tells, right? You don't just go off and see the next butterfly that's floating by. Our job is to look at this. If you struggle in a certain area, friends, right, you need to write out a plan for what you're going to do, right? Any Blazer fans in the room here? Like, wow, not many of you. Wow. (laughs) Nurkic gets hurt, and all of us aren't Blazers fans. All right. So... (laughs) So I read an article recently about Damian Lillard, how last year the, the Blazers made the playoffs, and uh, they were swept by the Pelicans. And what ended up happening is the Pelicans had a tactic where they would double-team Damian Lillard and in, that, in the backcourt, and they didn't know how to get out of it. And they had really athletic guys that double-teamed him, and it just messed up the Blazers' entire game plan. And I read this article, and it said that that Damian Lillard and the core um, coaching team spent the entire summer on one thing, which is saying, this will never mess us up again, right? And now you you don't see this problem. Friends, the rest of this world, the business world, right? Things that are being successful in life, they will look at a problem long enough to solve it. But many of us in our world, we have temptation. We have a much higher goal, by the way, than just profits or wins and losses, We have purpose at stake. So I'm going to give a boringly effective answer. Many of us need to write down what is, what am I struggling with right now? You just need one to start with. And let's form, what am I going to do? I I love working with young couples that are about to get married. And one of the, one recently we were working through. And one of the things that we put into place is a fight plan. Right? You ever done that before? Spouses, this is a pretty good thing. Where you actually come up with rules that are okay with fighting. Right? And, and 
here's what inevitably happens, okay? I don't know if it's true for you. And this is, doesn't just have to be uh, uh, people that are married. This can be friends. Anyone you interact with awesome, often that you might have some conflict with often, you might want to put together a fight plan. Like, like often one is more aggressive than the other, right? So one is much more ready to go at it and much more, the other one's much more ready to call timeout, right? But the problem then is if someone calls timeout, that person needs to bear, one of the rules of these people's fight plan is whoever calls time out has to decide when time in is as well, right? And they have a word now for time, for time out because they, they can get into it and they want to bring humor and a reminder that they're connected into it. So in the midst of a fight, when they're going back and forth, someone will just look at the other person and say, pickles, right? And the whole day, all that's communicating, it's a bright line that they've drawn in their life that says, we're pausing for 15 minutes. This isn't getting anywhere. Statistics show, by the way, 15 minutes into a fight, you've pretty much shared your side and you're not getting anywhere anymore, right? Many of us need a written, it seems silly, but it's a written plan. That's going to be fruit in their lives for the rest of their marriage. They're not even married yet and they're putting that plan in place. But if we get to a place, the goal, though, is for us to not have to yell pickles for very long the goal, though, is for us to embody the power and the authority to, which is our second concept, is to face it. The only way that you can face it, my friends, is you tell the whole truth about it. If there is something that has consistently been a temptation for you, friends, food, when I say self-control, this isn't just a bad thing. This is just being willing to say, I grew up in a family that didn't teach me how to to lead my finances, finances very well, and I don't have the skill sets for that, and I need to go find someone who does, right? And that's how I'm going to face it, right? I need to be able to face it with all the armor. See, there's a second Greek story as well about the Argonauts, and it says that the Argonauts have to sail past the exact same sirens as before, but they escape their deadly snare with a much different strategy, Instead of tying themselves to a mast and using beeswax to not hear the song, they brought with them a legendary musician and poet, Orpheus. And he played his harp and played a louder and more beautiful song, drowning out the siren's music. Enthralled with Orpheus's sweeter song, they passed by safely. See, friends, it's such a healthy thing to admit that we when we don't have it, we don't have the power, we don't know how to get through this. But eventually, the only reason that we flee from it is so that we can find our power to face it. And in doing so, we, I, this is what we're missing. We focus on the problem instead of the gift beyond the problem. All right? If you can realize this, that any structure, any, any boundaries that God puts in your place that feel restrictive to you are there for your good. Right? That there is a gift on the other side of them. And by the way, if, you, if he just gave you the gift right now, you wouldn't go through it. But he needs you to go through it to learn the lesson. Why? Because one, that you can overcome and transform. And two, that you can have the testimony of your overcoming and transformation to share with the next person who needs to hear the same message. Friends, we need to be people that are willing to face these things. But as we do so, we need to tap into our, our sweeter song. The best way to avoid sin, the most powerful means of self-control, comes by listening to a sweeter song for us as Christians. This means tuning into God's ultimate purpose for us. Have you ever stopped to to write that out? 
Is that just an ambiguous thing? All right. I want to leave you with some homework this week. All right, because we've already gone through all the hard stuff, right? It's two questions that we need to ask as Christians. What do we do? So that's what we discuss every single week here at Kesed. What do, we, what do all of us do together? What is our goal? What is our mandate? What are we sent by God to do, right? And we talk about that, but a lot of that is, is up here, right? We're not doing a lot of it right now. We're learning so that we can go do it. And the second question is this. What are only you supposed to do? Only you. That's a list that you need to make. What, what are my unique calling, my living out, my divine nature, my purpose? What, what is just mine? Right? And what you'll find if you do this list right is that involves a lot of people. It's not just stuff to do. It's not things to build. Some are. But even building the things is to love people. And so if we can be people that will stop and will gaze and we'll see our spouse, and we'll step back in self-control and realize instead of just forcing them to become what I want right now, I see them for exactly who they are. And I ask questions like, what do you need from me? Instead of projecting that over, instead of controlling the situation, I put self-control on myself because I know that love, the connection that I want to have between me and them, only exists in freedom. So I have to I have to let them be free. This happens for our kids as well. What are you called to only do? What is just your mandate? You have homework, friends. You're to get out a piece of paper and you're to write down what is only mine to do, right? All right you don't need to fill the same page. Just whatever comes to your heart first. That is where we start building our self-control. That is where we, we gaze, we look in, we see it all the way through. We invite God, all of God's truth, right? Some of us may need to sit with a, a loved one across a table and ask that question, what is only mine to do? We might need a mirror. It might be hard for us to see ourselves, depending on your story, what you've been through. Ah, that's hard. I don't know how to answer this. And you may need to sit with a loved one that can, that can help interpret that for you. This is the beauty of the community of Christ, right? That we are one body, that we are individuals, but we are one body together. And so many of us need a mirror Right? The best kind of friends or guides or leaders are just mirrors. They're just telling us what's already there. And they're saying, do you see this? Right? Self-control is about finding ourselves, our true selves, in God and in what God has made us to be. It is realizing that all of our little wants are secondary to what is our deepest desire to live into our divine nature, our ultimate purpose. Many of our wanters are broken, but they don't have to be. The only way out of that is to admit it, right? Place God at the center of your life. Flee temptation when it comes. If you can't flee it, stand and fight. But make sure you're doing it with all of the armor, not the pretend armor, not just the armor you showed up with, by the way. The real armor of God. Eliminate your distractions, friends. Get control of your life, and in that place, give it back to God. Set sanctified goals. Grow in your self-control and willpower. Break bad habits and replace them with healthy ones. This is how we become love. 
I wish there was an easier, more fun uh, music part way, but there isn't. This is how you go from just loving someone or talking about loving to becoming love. You pay attention. You realize that you are a specific person in living in a specific time for a specific reason and you get really good at paying attention where you're supposed to be and where you're not. It's a really freeing thing to take your hands off something that's not yours in the first place. Because Lord, what's mine? What's mine to carry? So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna go into a final song. And my, my encouragement for you is that you use this time to ask, begin the, asking the question, but don't stop looking until you see it all the way through. Heavenly Father, Lord, we choose to tune into your sweeter song. We choose, Lord, control even over our little wants. If we're honest, though, our, our soul aches and yearns, yearns for your purpose in our lives. And so we do the hard work of stepping towards you. We listen. We're willing to admit that we don't have all the answers, that we're not completed projects yet, but we, we have a God who is, and he is guiding our way. And so we tune into that sweeter song. And Father, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.